your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Oliver Martin in motion to the far side. Snap back. Adrian wants to throw. Being rushed. Steps up in the pocket and eludes a man to the 10, to the 5, to the 1. Dives. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. What an individual effort by Adrian Martinez. Scrambling through bodies, arms, diving for the end zone. And the Huskers now lead it 13-0. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Austin Orman. Yeah, the two of us tonight. So glad you're with us here on a Thursday night. Ben McLaughlin is on his way to Michigan, Michigan State to be exact. I'm going to join him tomorrow. I had an event in Lincoln this afternoon, so I'll head up there tomorrow, but we wanted to be sure Ben had boots on the ground, ready to call some Husker baseball this weekend. We'll catch him as he gets off his flight coming up in hour number two. Here, busy show for us tonight, Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. We haven't talked to Mitch in a while. Lots to cover with Mitch, primarily Husker football. He was uh, in attendance last Saturday for the open practice session and has been at all the media scums, scrums, not scums, scrums, <laughs> that, have, that have happened over the uh, last couple of weeks. We'll get his take on what he thinks are some of the bigger uh, bigger storylines that have developed during spring football with the Huskers coming up here in a little bit. Uh, besides hearing from Ben in our number two, we're going to go beyond the headlines again tonight. We'll have our face-off week two, the matchup between Josh and myself. I was fortunate to win last week. Uh, Josh, though, still retains the trophy. We'll see how we do with that uh, in our number three. And we'll also have our Flix Picks of the Week, what's been on our screens. We'll get into that in the third hour of the program as well. And as always, love to get your take input input 531 500 4686 the number to dot us up with a comment or question that would be on our sports only hotline which is brought to you by the wood house auto family bringing you more choices in brands locations and service experience the difference purchased with confidence this is Woodhouse. you can also use that same number to fire us off a text as well but Ben's out. No, never fear. Austin's here to offer up some thoughts and opinions on yes, things. Yes, I am. You doing okay? How, how are things? You good? Things are things are great. Wife is at work today. Quiet day with the cat at home. Got some good stuff prepared for Beyond the Headlines. And I'm in charge of babysitting face-off tonight. So any other two contestants, I'd be a little bit more worried, especially if we had like a Ben-Tim matchup. So I'm hoping you and Josh don't make me eat crow by saying that. But I like the questions. I think you two will make it at least relatively easy on me come face off but yeah excited for another night of those two things cool well we're gonna have some fun over the next three hours gonna start with uh the ncaa today uh their rules oversight panel has approved a few changes to college football rules this year the the biggest one is the two-point conversion try in overtime currently when you get to the third overtime period this went in effect i think two years ago after that monster LSU A&M game three four years back that I think went seven or eight overtimes, what had been in effect was when you reached the third overtime, you had to go for two. You just couldn't kick. You had to try for a two-point try. Austin, they bumped that up now to the second overtime period. You like it or not? No, I, I don't. Straight up, I don't like it. I, I get why they're doing it. They say it's you know, to make games go quicker. But you essentially give teams – you know, one real overtime, one real drive, and then the second one 
you have to start going for two. You know, it's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, baseball's runner on second base, an extra innings rule. I know you and Ben have talked about that on the program where, yeah, it starts in the 10th inning in baseball and starting in the second overtime is pretty much that in my mind where I'd be okay with it, you know, in the third overtime, that's a little bit further. It gives teams a couple of chances with real drives. Defenses can prove it. Offenses can prove it. But starting at the second overtime for the two-point conversion, that's too soon, just like it's too soon for that runner on second and the 10th. Give these teams a couple possessions to play, play it out. I know you've had 60 minutes of football between them, but give them a couple more cracks. I don't see the harm. It's not like people are asking for less college football, especially not in this part of the country. People enjoy college football. There's always drama. I, I, don't, I don't like it. That, that's a great point because I haven't heard anybody complain about when they tweaked it to three, I think people thought, ah, okay, I get it. But at least you played two straight overtime straight up, and then the third one, then you had to start going for two. So not only have they eliminated, have they brought it down to that, but you only have two overtime periods where you get the ball to 25-yard line. What they're going to do starting, if you get to a third overtime period, it alternates two-point tries. So you don't get the ball to 25, you get the ball at whatever, the two-yard line, and you have to start going for two, back and forth, back and forth, until somebody stops somebody and the other one scores. So you have two legitimate overtime periods with a ball, and some people don't think that's legitimate. Some people think you got to still continue to play real football, but you get the ball to 25-yard line. Mm-hmm. and But now, the third overtime period, it turns into a two-point try con- contest. I, I, that one, I mean, this to, this to me seems pretty dramatic. Oh, because it is. It's incredibly and entirely dramatic. I... That one doesn't make any sense to me. The, the one thing I can see is that it takes a little bit of the inequity out of overtime, where if you go two overtimes, you know, each team starts with the ball one, so there's a little bit less of that coin flip. I think I saw a stat that the team that defers in overtime wins 55% of the time because they know what they need. So I suppose moving to this two-point shootout, such as it is, eliminates a little bit of that. But to go back to the baseball analogy for a second, that's pretty much like loading the bases with a 3-2 count in the bottom of the ninth, or bottom of the top of the 10th, bottom of the 10th, something like that, which that just, I don't know. It seems way too close. It seems way too easy, and I know it's hard to score in the red zone. Defenses tighten up. There's less space to operate. But, man, I just, we're, we're playing football. We're not going for two, right? I, I kind of get where it's coming from, but I don't like that at all. Yeah, I, I think, I just, I didn't hear a clamoring from people, coaches, players about tweaking. Right. I don't know why they made this a point of I, maybe somebody was out there but I didn't hear anybody complaining <laughs> about this what I hear is people complain about the target rule targeting rule but we don't we didn't, they did nothing with that here in this offseason this seems really dramatic to me to do that a couple of the other things that they did were not very dramatic they uh, the team area is extended out of the 20 yard lines uh, they, they, they extended it last year it used to be the 30 yard line so 30 to 30 was a team box Nobody else could be in there. Reporters couldn't be in there. Photographers couldn't be in there. Uh, other personnel couldn't be in there. Like our sideline reporter can't be in there. Last year they went to the 25-yard lines. Now they're going to extend it to the 20-yard lines. I, I, that, that doesn't, I don't care about any of that. that, that that's no. fine. Uh, unsportsmanlike tactics, though. They're going to kind of get after people here. If you're taunting, they're going to be a stricter about that. I, I guess I'm okay with that. I also, but I don't want them to take away the fun of the game. <laughs> 
from the guys. But I, I get it. I, I don't like seeing some guy get in somebody's face and point at him and taunt him and throw their shoe like the Gators did last year. But <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I don't have as big a problem with that. No, I'm a little worried putting more power in the hands of officials to adjudicate what fun is and what fun isn't. Sometimes I think there are things that don't cross the line that get flagged. But there are certainly it's one of those things, at least to me, where you know it when you see it. Either it is taunting or it isn't. There's not really much of a a gray space, at least as I see it in a lot of the examples that would kind of come up. Like the Florida guy throwing the shoe. Yeah, that's taunting. That's unsportsmanlike. Like, yeah, flag him for that. But if we're going to start flagging guys for doing the Tyreek Hill peace sign as you run past them, just get better. Don't complain. Just get better. I That one I don't quite love as much. I, I'm with you. I think the targeting rule need to be reworked. But uh, can we get some odds on if some school down in Austin was the one here that led this charge for the the taunting after they got the Big 12 to ban a certain reverse horns hand down. gesture. Right, horns down. That, that's not allowed by Big 12, Big 12 rules. Crazy. And that's silly. So, yeah, so three points of emphasis by the NCAA football committee. Uh, that's the biggest one about the taunting. Uh, they will assess penalties for that, unnecessary confrontations. Number two, officials are directed to be – able to alert players who are significantly in violation of the uniform rules and send them out of the game to correct the issue, specifically the pants, the jerseys, and the T-shirts that extend below the torso. Also, and this could be big, coaches, point three, coaches should not enter the field of play or leave the team area to debate officiating decisions. Those who do so... uh, Commit an automatic unsportsmanlike conduct foul. I mean that, but not if they hold this. <laughs> holy cow! There's going to be a bunch of guys in violation of this, aren't there? Oh, there are going to be so many, and I think that might almost get to the point where you have to save an assistant coaching spot for just a get back coach, a guy right. standing on the sideline just holding your head coach back from getting out on the field. I mean, some of those guys get all the way out to the hash marks for Pete's sake to argue some of these calls. So if it's an automatic unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for putting one foot across the sideline, oh boy. Enjoy your free yards, teams. My, my guess is they'll be a little lenient on that. But think about how many times you see Nick Saban way the heck out on the field doing those things. That could turn into a reputation issue, too, where a guy has you know, a reputation for yelling, a ref starts not liking him, takes one step, oh, he finally has the power to penalize him for that. Yeah. So those are the big things that, that came out today, three points of emphasis. And, but the, the major thing was the overtime rule changes. And, and I just – honestly, folks, I, I don't get it. I, I did not hear – a lot of backlash toward that. I think people kind of understood it after that LSU A&M game went seven or eight overtimes. Like, yeah, that's that's a little much. That's almost another game that these teams had to play. They're tired. They're exhausted. That's when guys get hurt. I, I kind of got it when they started saying, all right, the third overtime, you got to start going for two. I did not hear a big push to cut it down to two overtimes and then alternate two-point tries after the second overtime. But um, I guess that could be. Josh is digging out some Husker football history with overtimes i don't really remember many lengthy overtime periods for nebraska football but we'll get that information to you a little bit later on in the hour also want to get to another topic this is ncaa related as well austin and this came out today um, i don't know that it's totally official yet but i saw kendall rogers at d1 baseball tweet about this that he is hearing that the ncaa is going to limit crowds at the regional, super regionals, and the College World Series to 50% capacity. Now, I I have seen some some games from the SEC 
where they are way over 50% capacity this year, like at Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Arkansas, some of those places. And you know they're going to be hosting regionals and probably hosting some super regionals. So they're going to have to turn people away. I I mean, I, I guess the NCAA needs to make a blanket statement so that it's not, you know, it, it's not so different if you go to Oregon for a regional, and I think the Ducks may get to host one this year. they got a pretty good baseball team, and they're not letting really anybody in. Uh, so they, they're going to cap it at 50% for the regional, super regionals. That That's disappointing here because we certainly are holding out hope that the Huskers can host, and we believe Nebraska is going to start bumping it up to 75% capacity for some of their uh, final few home series. Is Boy, that'd be disappointing if we get a regional and yet can only put 50% crowd in the Haymarket Park. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I kind of get where they're coming from, where, you know, level of playing field a little bit, don't make it too unfair. But on the other hand, wouldn't having a crowd there be more of a reward for these top teams? I think if you've won enough games and you've done enough off the field in terms of keeping people healthy, you've you know, got enough people vaccinated, you're taking those right precautions that you need, why shouldn't they be allowed in? Why not? I mean, if Nebraska's doing it, if all the SEC places are doing it, it seems kind of random to just bump them back down just because it's a regional. And I know you have a couple more teams coming in there. It's not just a three- or four-game weekend series. But still, especially in the SEC, where those places get full every game, Uh to tell them they have to bump it down from full capacity all the way down to 50% (laughs) and the best time of year for college baseball, that's not going to go over well. It's just not. Here's what's really going to be odd. The SEC is still doing their postseason tournament. You know, the Big Ten's not, but the SEC is. The, the, these, these NCAA rules don't apply to that SEC tournament. So I think they play that in Hoover, Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Can you, you know, you're going to be watching that tournament the week of Memorial Day weekend, and you're going to have packed houses when Mississippi State plays Arkansas or Ole Miss plays Alabama or whatever the, the matchups may be, Vandy's against somebody. And then the next week you're going to be watching regional play with 50% capacity. That that also includes softball, by the way. So it's, it's going to include baseball and softball and track and field, I guess. So for the track and field championships, it's only 50% capacity for that. So the end, busy day for the NCAA with the football rule changes and then setting some attendance limits for the NCAA baseball postseason. And that certainly affects the folks in Omaha. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that affects the CWS. So that, that means TD Ameritrade, 50% capacity. So you're talking about... 12.5, maybe 13,000 get into to TD Ameritrade. Man, that, that's going to be a hot ticket when you get if you get some of those perennial uh, teams that come to Omaha, Austin, that draw really well, like like an LSU who flock up here in, in mass. It's a hot ticket as it is, and now you cut the supply in half by 50%. I mean, Greg, Ooh. some of those great games, especially in the later rounds, the general admission, standing room only seats, even that's yeah. packed. You can hardly see it. You need a stepladder just to see the outfield in some cases how deep some of those crowds get that's it's disappointing I hope that Omaha can come through it's been a rough little bit of a volleyball tournament stretch without the NCAA handled that and it seemed like the reliance on local health measures was working it didn't seem like there had been any issues at all so I think this is the NCAA kind of sticking its nose back where it doesn't entirely belong messing with something that wasn't broken I don't I don't have my TV near me. Can you? Are you guys watching the Final Four in volleyball? Can you? Josh has. Can it you? Up, yeah. Can you? What? What kind? Josh, what kind of crowd are you seeing? Is it? Is it look like much? No, there's not a whole lot. I. Oh boy. It, it's kind of the same as there's a. Yeah, it's basically what you saw for Nebraska's match on on Monday. Um, 
yeah, not a whole lot more than that. They haven't actually shown very much of the crowd, honestly, but okay. it's it's pretty spread out, though. Well, I, I hope that they got to close to what they could put in there. I hope it wasn't just a disaster with Nebraska's exit on Monday. I hope there's not. I hope there's more than like 500 people in the building. Please, for these <laughs> these teams deserve it. I mean, this is incredible volleyball they're playing up there. All right, those are some of the topics. You have some thoughts again. Five three one five hundred forty six eighty six. Call or text. When we come back, Mitch Sherman of the Athletic. He will join us. We'll talk some Husker football and other things with Mitch next. We're back on a Thursday night, Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network, and delighted to be joined now by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. Good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, Greg. I'm well. How are you? Doing well. Before I jump into some Husker stuff, I, I want to kind of circle back to something we were talking about right before you came on, and that was the announcement today by the Rules Committee about some tweaks to college football, primarily the overtime rule about having to go for two starting now in the second overtime and then an alternate two-point conversion game beginning overtime number three. Your thoughts about some of this that came out today? Yeah, um, I haven't given it a ton of uh, in-depth thought, um, but I you know, I feel like it just kind of delays the um, inevitable in overtime. Well, maybe not the inevitable, but it moves forward, you know, the, <laughs> the, uh, um, the, the, the potential ending where you eventually get to the required two-point two conversion. I don't have a necessarily a problem with it or feel super strongly about it um you know you're you're going to get away from those um those games that arkansas plays like every other year where it's like 86 to 84 so um <laughs> those are fun, those are fun to watch so uh at what lsu texas a&m a couple years ago went several overtimes and and those are always fun um but i i don't i I think it's okay. Um, I don't know that it really necessarily changes much as far as uh, a strategy or, or gives an advantage to um, you know one team or another. I mean, if you're a, if you're a, if you're the the, the the better team in overtime, um, and you know you you you're on the verge of getting upset, um, I think that that this maybe puts the uh, the ball in the other team's court a little bit. It's it's always tempting in those overtime situations, like if you're on the road or if you are the, the, the underdog type team to just go for two earlier. So this, this uh, kind of cuts to the chase and, and makes it happen in overtime number two. Yeah. I was just caught off guard because I hadn't really heard much chatter about this, that this was a big issue because right. they did address the A&M LSU thing a few years ago with starting yet yeah, to start going for two in the third overtime. I just didn't hear much buzz about it. And all of a sudden here it came down the pike today. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been so much talk, about the transfer portal and the different yep. tra- the new transfer rules and name, image, and likeness that the other the other uh, potential rule changes that now appear to be going into effect this off season, um, they, they just haven't got as much um, as much chatter because there's so so many other things that are happening in the sport. Yep, no doubt. All right, um, you, you wrote about the open practice that you attended last Saturday. Um, give me the the two or three things that you really struck it stuck in your mind as you left Memorial Stadium that day. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it all kind of revolves around the offense. And I feel like that's all I'm writing about this spring is the offense. And I have another story out tomorrow on the keys for Nebraska, you know, as spring winds down to getting its offense fixed. And, you know, it dawned on me as I was doing that that I haven't really said much about the defense this spring. And, and that's probably a, a good thing. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole different set of objectives, I think, that are happening on the defensive side where, where you see some of these six-year seniors um, sitting out to avoid injury or recover from injury, and Nebraska's working on depth 
Um, that's where it would like to be on the offensive side, but it's not uh, because of so much inexperience at the running back spot and the receiver spot and the backup quarterback spot. There are more pressing, urgent objectives to take care of offensively, and, and that, that's that's really where the majority of my takeaways from last Saturday uh, come from. The receivers were, were to me, clearly, and I think a lot of people, the bright spot of, of, of that practice. And, you know, it really put into, into perspective some of the things that Scott Frost has said about these receivers during the, you know, all through the winter. And as, as we got into spring, he has talked highly of them and, and remarked that this is the most talented group of wide receivers that he's worked with at Nebraska. And, you know, I think when some people heard that, when I heard that um, early in the offseason, you know, there was a temptation to take that with a grain of salt because, um, you know, we've heard similar things about other position groups. And, you know, we haven't seen the kind of production at the receiver spot that I know everybody thought or a lot of people thought would would occur by now. But this group, to me, looks like it's for real. And I know it's not August and, and they have to do it on the field, but it's a different looking group of players at the receiver spot uh, than, than what Nebraska is accustomed to. And it, I mean, it starts with Omar Manning and Samari Toure and uh, Oliver Martin, I think is going to be a totally different kind of player this year in the system. And Xavier Betts looked big and fast. And, you know, we've not even seen the three freshmen, incoming freshmen who are all big that Nebraska signed in December. So uh, no, that's, 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 probably going to be my biggest takeaway from the whole spring is the way that they've overhauled this receiver group. And there's a lot of intrigue about what they can do in, in the fall and how they can help Nebraska in the deep passing game. And that's, that's another thing is that I, I saw Adrian Martinez throw the ball really well. And he looks um, like he's transformed some things with, with his game. Um, he's, he's trim and, and slim and looks pretty fast and was making good, quick decisions. So, I don't have any concerns about Nebraska's number one quarterback spot, which is, you know, kind of an interesting thing to say after the uh, up and down situation a year ago with changing changing QBs twice during the season. You would think that would be a source of of some stress right now uh, for the Nebraska coaches, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not. They they really like what they see with Adrian, and then um, you know you asked for three, so. Um, you know, aside from the running backs, which just not enough of them are out there, you know, I'll look at the offensive line and say I think there's a real chance for the first time in Greg Austin's four years here as O-line coach to have some real depth where he can play eight or nine guys and feel good about it. And it's been a topic of conversation in past years when we're in the spring or in the fall, and, and Greg has, has mentioned that he would like to do that and has talked about the guys who were in position to be the top backups but I, I think it's different this year, and they have you know some fifth-year seniors in those spots, and and then some some transfers like Ezra Miller and uh, New, New Ely, um from Colorado State, uh, who are are um, you know players who can play in the Big Ten. So that should help Nebraska be a stronger offensive line late in games and late in the season, and and be able to uh, to to. Um, handle injuries when they occur. So um, that's a very positive uh, development uh, up front. Busy again with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic here on Sports Sunday on the Husker Sports Network. He was at that open practice on Saturday. You know, and when Scott Frost, right toward the end of his first season here in Lincoln, he talked about we need we just need to get bigger across the board. Do you think they've accomplished that now as they get ready to enter year four? Yeah, uh, they are a bigger-looking team. Uh, I talked about the offensive line and and – they're bigger there. I mean, you see 
uh, Bryce Benhart and, and Turner Corcoran, you know, at six, six, seven, six, six, and, and even the, the younger, the younger, the new offensive tackles, like, like Henry Lutovsky and Teddy Prohaska, huge guys, um, you know, who have six, eight, six, nine. Uh, well, Teddy's six, nine and Henry's a couple inches shorter. He's a short guy in the room, like six, six, but, uh, <laughs> uh, they have room to put on, put on weight. So they are definitely bigger up front on offense. Um, at receiver, talked about that. At tight end, uh, they're a big group of guys. Um, you know, at running back right now, with uh, Jacquez Yant at, at what 240 pounds, and Gabe Urban is a Urban is a big guy. Marquis Step, who we have not seen this spring because of the surgery that that he had, um, seen him but not seen him in in in, uh, in pads. He's another big guy at like 225 pounds. So yeah, there's 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 definitely been a um, a real push to become a bigger team. Certainly see it on the offensive side. I, you know, I even look at the defense and in the secondary with Miles Farmer and Quentin Newsom. They're big guys. Um, they make they make um, Markel Desmuke and Deontay Williams look small. Um, the the some of the backups at the in the secondary who are going to be next in line when those older guys leave the program. So. Um, yeah, there's there are numerous positions around the field where Nebraska is a bigger team than it was three years ago. How do you think the secondary? What, what's what's the competition like there? Did you get your eyes on that group much on on Saturday? Yeah, I mean Cam Taylor Britz, his his uh, enthusiasm is infectious. Um, you know, he's jumping around. He's uh, you know in the face of of his uh, his fellow guys in the his fellow DBs. Um, same with the linebackers. He's a leader um, on, on defense, and you can see, uh, you know, where he's come in that area. And he's always making plays. Uh, whenever he was in a one-on-one situation, um, he was knocking the ball down or he was making an interception or coming close to making an interception. So um, I think he's made a made a, an improvement. He was a good playmaker last year for sure, um, but I think he's improved in that area to, with, with his ball skills. Um they're really, really solid across the that that front group with with Cam and the two safeties I mentioned, the sixth year seniors, and I think Quentin Newsom is probably in the lead to be that guy at the other cornerback spot. But there's competition there um, with Braxton Clark and Adab Joseph, and I mentioned Miles Farmer, Noah Pola Gates, um, a name we've heard for a couple of years but haven't seen a ton from because of injuries. He made some plays in the uh, in the practice on Saturday. I know they like Isaac Gifford. Javon Wright was a guy who uh, had a one-handed interception. Maybe the the, the play of the whole the whole practice. Um, and you know he's going to play some safety, some nickel. Um, the the the, uh, the JoJo position on defense is uh, is he's a backup there along with along with Gifford. But that's kind of a, an interchangeable spot between the secondary and, and the linebacker group. So I'd include him. When I talk about the DBs, not super deep. You know, they had transfers in that 2020 class, three of them, who left the secondary, and um, they, you know, they 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 don't necessarily go three deep, real strong. But I think that those first eight guys, seven eight guys, um, it's a, it is a, you can make a case that it's the best position group on the team. How much stock will you put into what you see next Saturday? Sometimes we do over, <laughs> overblow the hero of the spring game, yeah. and then you get to mid-October, and you're like, what, what happened to that guy that started the spring game? Yeah. How much stock do you put into spring games? Yeah, that running back who scored four touchdowns in the spring <laughs> game and then gets, nine, gets six carries all season, yeah. uh, that's happened a few times. Uh, not a ton, really. 
I think the scrimmage that Nebraska held yesterday at Memorial Stadium, which you know they did not get eyes on that, was probably a lot more telling as far as what this team is going to look like heading into the summer than anything we'll see in the in the spring game. I mean, it's on BTN and anybody can can watch it, so they're not going to um, necessarily throw out a whole lot of stuff, especially on the offensive side. I, I know Eric Chenander doesn't care, and he said that you know <laughs> they're not they're not into hiding things. Um, and that's that's what you want to hear, I think, from your defensive coordinator. But yeah, I mean, on offense, uh, there are a lot of new faces and uh, and new people in important positions. You know, some who aren't going to be out there, but there there are some who who will be out there. And, and hey, Nebraska is going up against an opponent on August 28th um, with a completely new system and a new head coach in a week zero game. That the, the game that kind of game is always tricky to prepare for. Um, and Nebraska is going to have its hands full w- without knowing a whole lot about Illinois. So it's certainly not going to go out and and, uh, and lay everything out there um, with the way that it it, uh, it plays offense uh, on on May first. But um, you know you'll get to see some guys in 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 um, in key spots who are going to be key players. Um, I just wouldn't put a ton of stock in uh, you know the play calling or, or the kind of schemes that they run. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to the, the piece you're going to drop tomorrow. Always great stuff. Mitch, we appreciate the time. Thank you. Yep, good to talk to you, Greg. Thanks. There he is. Here we are back for hour two of our Thursday edition of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. It's our final show of the week. We have Husker baseball coming your way tomorrow. Different start time, 4 o'clock, which is actually 5 o'clock back in Michigan, East Coast time, but 4 o'clock and TV has something to do with it as well. So 3.30 pregame coverage. Uh, ben McLaughlin, who's just landed a few moments ago up in Detroit, he'll then drive over to East Lansing and join us here a little bit to preview that series. And we'll go beyond the headlines later on in the hour as well. Austin and Josh have been cooking up some fun topics. We'll have some fun with that. And we'll keep some phone lines open and available for you later on in the hour uh, at 531-500-4686. You can also, at any time, send off a text if you have a thought, question, about Husker sports or anything sports-related. We can get into that as well. But Ben McLaughlin did, as I mentioned, just get wheels down in Michigan. I had an event in Lincoln today, so I'm going to join you tomorrow. We just wanted to be sure you were there in case uh, they did something with the moving up a game. Sometimes that happens in college baseball, as we all know, because of weather situations. You're This is a pretty this is an easy little trip. You like this trip, right, going up to East Lansing and, and playing Sparty? That, that town has been... Knock on wood, good to me. I, I I've somehow won there in basketball. I think we were like a 19-and-a-half point underdog um, that night that Siobhan Shields went crazy there. Uh, we, we won a series there at baseball. I haven't won there in football uh, yet, but hopefully real soon. But, yeah, I, I've had some decent luck there, and hopefully that continues. Well, we sent you on ahead early. I had an event in Lincoln this afternoon, so I'll join you tomorrow. But uh, this team continues to just roll right along. They're just a – they just take care of business. I mean, just a very – I used that term earlier today with one of our affiliates. I just said they're just a – there's a business-like approach to what this Husker team is. Um, how about this group now through through the halfway point of the year? Well, I think the thing that's impressed me the most, and, and you can attest to this too, we, we've seen enough college baseball to know, and I've actually talked to a lot of our guys about this. We talked with Jackson about this last night, to know that there are so many peaks and valleys – throughout a year right you'll go on a run of winning eight in a row and then you'll lose lose two or three series in a row and the mojo's not real good and it you know it takes a while for it to turn back the thing that i continue to be impressed with we're now halfway through the season 
And really the only point to the year, Greg, that you can turn to that you're like, yeah, that wasn't a great a great period of time was that, that Sunday in Minneapolis where they dropped both to Ohio State and Iowa, both really competitive games, and then they turn around and lose the Friday game to Iowa right after that. That three-game stretch is really the only time where you're like, I don't – they got to turn this around. They found a way to play consistent baseball uh, all the way through that point, which has been really impressive. I've just kind of been sitting back and waiting – for another valley but i feel like the way that the the team is approaching every day not just the games but their practices and their scrimmages that they're they're just feeding off this feeling of winning and i just feel like there's so much momentum with the team right now that hopefully they can just keep it going and keep keep that steady climb upwards and hopefully play their best baseball at the end of the year 24 games in 20 to go in the regular season 18 and 6 just remarkable to be 18 and 6 at this point in time and yet Still not ranked. Uh, have you given up? Have you shrugged your shoulders at that? Or <laughs> what do you make of this? Well, I think what's having me feel a lot better is the correlation between ranking and, and, pre- and seeding of, of projection of regionals have correlated for a lot of the year. But I feel like, I feel like the seeding is starting to surpass the ranking, if that makes any sense. So typically what happens is you've got – three major publications that they'll put out a ranking on Monday or Tuesday. And then some of them do it weekly. Some of them do it biweekly. Some of them even, you know, more spaced out than that. They'll put out their projected field of 64. Basically their bracketology is the best way to explain it. So when I'm looking at, when I'm looking at those, those bracketologies, so to speak, those projected field of 64s a month, two months ago, Nebraska was nowhere to be found. And obviously Nebraska wasn't ranked at that time, and they are still playing good baseball. So my worry was, okay, if they're not getting any love in, in the polls or even in the conversation of the polls, and they're not getting seated, at what point does Nebraska baseball start to get on the map? And I think we're starting to see that. So I'm not as worried about the ranking as I was. Now, I know Nebraska is ranked in two polls. I think they're like 28th in one and then 22nd or 21st maybe in another. They're not ranked in the D1 baseball poll, which is the biggest one. Um, but every time those projected field of 64s come out, Nebraska's a two seed, which tells me they're comfortably in the tournament right now. That makes me feel a lot better than not having the team ranked. Now, do you want to be ranked? Absolutely. It's a great tool to have in your belt, but it's more important to find yourself in that tournament at the end of the year because, as you know, Greg, it's, it's not much of a difference being a two-seed or a three-seed in that tournament other than you get to be the home team on the first day. That's basically it. Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of Ben McLaughlin, he's already up in Michigan. I'll join him tomorrow. Huskers open a series tomorrow afternoon against Michigan State. The, you know, the Spartans, I, I was kind of impressed with early. They, they win three out of four the first weekend against Maryland, who we know is a good team. They've been hovering around the 500 mark. And then last weekend happened. I don't, I don't quite get that other than, man, they just weren't locked in and, and the other teams came in and picked them apart. Yeah, they've lost five in a row coming into this one and into the series with Nebraska, and you really hope that that continues. You know, I, there was a period there where they split with Michigan. They should have beat Michigan both games uh, up in Ann Arbor. It took, I think Michigan scored seven runs in the bottom of the ninth inning to beat them um, in game one of that doubleheader. Then they bounce back and win the next game, Greg. They shut Michigan out. So I'm thinking, okay, they're they're back um, they have a relatively competitive series with Indiana where they win the final game. They win the series with Minnesota. They split with Penn State, and then you're going, okay, this is kind of what I expect from this Michigan State team. But then, absolutely, you finish 
with an eight to two loss to Purdue, uh, and that and that in your own pod with Penn State and Purdue, and then you lose, you just get blasted by Illinois both games, thirteen to four and fifteen to eight, and then you lose two more to Purdue. So this team has lost three games to Purdue, and and basically the last week. And that's just head scratching. You know, you look at some of the names on the team and Saeed Walker and Bryce Kelly, some of these guys have been around forever and it just seems like they can't get themselves lifted off the mat and, and hopefully for Nebraska's sake that could that continues this weekend, even though they are at home. A lot of guys that are familiar, um, they like to run, they like to put pressure on the defense a little bit. Uh, what do you expect talk about the, the style of Michigan State that Nebraska is gonna match up with this weekend? I feel like it's the it's the typical Jake Boss style, you know they they're so aggressive on the bases. They 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 run a ton. I think Nebraska has more stolen bases than them right now, but um, I think Nebraska's on base percentage and batting averages are are much better. So you know I think if you were to throw the percentages out there of how many times guys are on base and how many times guys are set in sale, Michigan State would have the edge by a, a pretty wide margin. Um, but you know they've got a couple of, of dangerous bats in the lineup with Walker and Stewart and, and even Bryce Kelly who's had about a billion at bats in his um, <laughs> college career. I just expect I expect the same typical Michigan State team that we're used to seeing. They're they're always a big team. They're, they're they just have big guys. You remember back, you know, to the uh, Marty Bikina days where you know it just seemed like everybody on their team was six three, six four, six five. Um, but you know they, they are struggling right now, and, and you just hope again that that they that 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 continues this weekend. And and the big thing with Nebraska, and, I, and you saw this with Penn State, Greg, on Friday, is Nebraska really arm wrestle Penn State to the ground in the late innings on Friday, and you could tell that Penn State team was deflated on Saturday. I mean, they they just Nebraska just took it to them and, and sucked all the air out of out of out of them in the in the early going, and basically won the series by winning innings seven eight and nine on friday i think nebraska's potential to do that same thing i'd like to see him come out tomorrow and just put a bunch of pressure on michigan state love to see kate povich fill up the strike zone and if nebraska is able to put one on michigan state tomorrow they might be able to steal another one just by the psyche of of where michigan state is if the huskers going to win tomorrow they'll show up to the park having lost six in a row and probably questioning what's been going on yep no doubt all right um now that we're on the back half of the season it, we, let's talk league race a little bit. It's start. They're starting to see a little separation now between with Nebraska and Michigan and the pack. How much emphasis do you think will bolt puts on winning the conference title? Do you think they talk about it or is it just, let's just keep playing good baseball? I, it, it matters in a sense that if you want to host a regional, you, that, that is a massive tool to have in your belt. I mean, if you're, if you're, are the big, 10 champ um and i think it's a little interesting this year because of the schedule setup but this is a this is a conference that in in the last few years have put four and five teams in the tournament so i know that the reputation of the big 10 has improved quite significantly this year is a little different because you know i know the committee still take into account the rpi but how much of it can you really count toward Big Ten teams? It's a big question mark. So winning the league, I think, would go a long way. And if you think about it, Greg, for that to happen, for Nebraska to win the league, it's basically impossible to do without beating this Michigan two out of three to finish the year. Think about this is a Michigan team that's been ranked all season, no matter how good or bad they've played, and, and a Nebraska team that will have at the time – 
been playing consistently all year long and beat Michigan two out of three, I think that that, that would just do wonders for their hosting. And if, if that can happen, I, I would put a decent amount of eggs in the basket that Nebraska would be playing on their home field in the regional. I really do. Wow. Well, that'd be awesome. Just to update everybody, Nebraska's got a half a game lead on Michigan. The Wolverine, the Huskers have played one more game than the Wolverines to this point. But then you drop down to Indiana, and Nebraska has a two-and-a-half game lead on Indiana, and then Iowa's in fourth, and Nebraska's won the season series from the Hawkeyes, and they have a three-and-a-half game lead on them. So there's there's has become some separation now. Uh, but with Michigan and Nebraska, Michigan this week plays Rutgers and Nebraska, of course, with Sparty. Um, so it's not quite a two-team race, but we're working our way toward that after uh, some results that happened last weekend. All right. Um, have a great night tonight. Get fired up, and we'll have some fun this weekend. Let's see if these Huskers can keep this thing rolling. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, hope your flight's on time. I'll be there to chauffeur you to East Lansing and uh, maybe say hi to uh, to an old friend of ours that's working up in East Lansing now and hopefully play some quality baseball while we're at it and uh, stay out of the, what is it, the the lockdowns and the and the puddles, and there's always some weird stuff that happens when we're, when we're over there. So let's just stay out of that, and hopefully the Huskers can continue to play some quality baseball this weekend against Michigan State. Greg Sharp, Austin Norman with you. Josh Shokeman also part of the program tonight. Thanks for Ben for stopping by after his flight landed in Detroit. And he'll be in East Lansing for the weekend series against Sparty. I'll join him up there tomorrow. Now it's time for us to go beyond the headlines. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the Headlines. Well, here we go. This is actually our second Beyond the Headlines of the week. We're yeah. we're getting closer to summer when we'll maybe hopefully turn this back into seven on seven oh, and do yeah. it every single night of, of for a couple months. It's it's a good time Everyone's of the year. Everyone's favorite, right? Exactly. Oh, how can it not be? I, you got to <laughs> love it. So uh, we're going to start off, uh, if you haven't heard, today is Earth Day. So we're going to start with kind of a simple question here. What's your favorite, or in your opinion, the most beautiful natural grass surface in all of sports? Whoa. And I, you could even, like, I, Austin and I were talking about, you know, maybe we could extend or make it more specific and be like, What's the most beautiful ballpark, like with the most, yeah, you know, nature? Yeah. And like the first one that comes to mind for me is is Colorado Coors Field. Like they have a lot of cool trees out in the outfield. And yep. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sports specific. When you first said that the most beautiful grassy thing, I think of the Masters. Oh, oh that's a good one. Oh, Augusta yeah. National and how just sure. picturesque it is with some flowers to the side. And the grass is just so bright green. I also love watching... January 1st, the Rose Bowl, and how mm. immaculate that, that playing yeah. surface is for the granddaddy of them all. So those kind of stick out to me. But, I, you know, I think any fan would say when you walk into any ballpark, particularly baseball, and it's a natural grass field, when you walk out from underneath the grandstands and you see it, you're like, wow, that is beautiful. So yeah. I think most sports fans would – that that would take their breath away. How about you guys? You you mentioned Coors Field. Yeah, Coors Field was the first one that came to mind. But that's I, I uh, I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't think of either of the ones that you mentioned with the Masters and 
with the Rose Bowl because those are both, yes, just immaculate grass. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, awesome. I, get in here. Baseball fields are one of my favorite things to look at. You get there early enough before anyone's on there. Get there right during batting practice just to walk in. You see the pictures posted to Twitter just how neatly that grass is mowed. Honestly, the NL West has a lot of them. You look at Coors yeah. Field, Chavez Dodgers. Ravine with the mm-hmm. Dodgers. Really cool backdrop. And even um, – the bay with the giants in the backdrop there it's a little bit of nature going on i can tell you it's not ryan field nevinson i can tell you that is <laughs> not among my favorites do not like well i think grass. i think they put field turf in too oh. so it's not it's not the natural stuff wow. anymore, i don't think uh see there's very few grass fields in the big 10 for baseball haymarket park mm-hmm. um Medler Field, which is where we were last week for Penn State. Purdue is natural grass. And Michigan State is natural grass. But that's pretty much it. Everybody else has got the field turf. Yeah, interesting. Good stuff. All right, we'll keep it in Big Ten territory for topic number two. A Peoria, Illinois man bowled a perfect game back just a week and a half ago on April 12th. It's not too special for him. He's a 39-year-old college bowler. He's bowled several perfect games before. But this one took on special significance because the ball he rolled his most recent perfecto with had the thumb hole filled with his late father's ashes. This guy by the name of John Hinkle Jr. uses a two-handed style of bowling, which means he doesn't actually use the thumb hole, letting him use this tribute to his dad. So what are some other cool sports tributes you guys can think of, and did you ever do any in your own playing days? And didn't he bowl a perfect game or something, too? Yeah. It's crazy. Two-handed. That gives you chills thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's nuts. Tribute. Well, yeah. hey, uh, first uh, uh, first thing I think of is the empty formation for the punter when Sam Foltz yeah, right. a few years ago. Man, I still get I get a lump in my throat thinking about that. That's really good. I I I think you know there's a lot, a lot of generic ones that a lot of people do. You know where they'll wear the the decal on the helmet or whatever. But or you know, like in baseball, we're watching baseball back here right now. Um, sometimes guys will you know go to the back of the mound and kind of write in the dirt behind there the initials of of somebody that they lost or something like that so that's kind of where my mind goes it's not necessarily something specific but that's a really good one with sam what did what did the nba do for kobe they a couple guys did a couple different games did different things for kobe I'm trying to like well, they, held the, the ball 24 or, second oh, clock yeah, they yeah, let yeah, the 24 yeah. second clock run out because he wore 24 for part right. of his career so yeah, yeah they did that that yeah it's kind of cool when you can think of something that's original something that's specific to the guy that you're trying to honor so yeah yeah that was, not, that was not good quite as specific as the 24 seconds but there's always that bo kimball tribute for loyola marymount shooting his free throws left-handed yeah that's right others. yeah that that's was good. good yep good stuff yeah i like that um Nothing though from my own playing days that I can that comes to mind. That's been <laughs> no, a long, long time yeah, ago. <laughs> no. Um, well, we'll move on here. Um, tonight is the final four for women's college volleyball. It's taking place in Omaha. Early in the week, you guys talked about the Texas volleyball subtweet. I guess I'll call it of Lexi Sun after the <laughs> regional final match Monday between the Huskers and the Longhorns. Uh, the Burnt Orange playing Wisconsin tonight, which kind of brought up this debate back here in the studio between Austin and I. Which college sports team do you have the most visceral reaction mm. to when you see them playing? So no matter what the sport is, if they're playing and you're watching, you're cheering against them. Who is that for you? Wow. <laughs> and I mean, that's 
don't get me wrong, that's a tough one because we, you know, you almost have to do kind of a bracket, put these teams against each other. Like we were talking about, you know, Texas, Wisconsin tonight. I went with Texas as a team that I would cheer against, you know, instead of Wisconsin. Then you go, you know, I, I think I came down to Iowa, I think, as the one that I would probably go with at this point, but it that kind of changes. I don't know. That's a hard decision to make. Colorado's up there for yeah. me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, you know, if you if you're a Husker basketball fan, it's probably Creighton, right? I mean, sure. if, if, if that's mm-hmm. your biggest thing is Husker hoops, Creighton certainly and has. That, and that carries over to you know the baseball field because that yep. that rivalry is definitely it's been intense good. and softball too. So volleyball even and yeah. Creighton, but yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, I do think though, right now for me, it, it's Iowa just because yeah. with football, the struggles against them and how they've kind of handled that, and then also basketball too and even baseball like, i think it just kind of carries across a lot of sports at this correct point yeah with, uh, with see that. i'm kind of on a different side of that coin where for me it depends on the sport who i hate the most which might sound kind of odd but i don't know i nothing against rutgers on the football field i hate playing them in basketball it's just ugly to watch they <laughs> just, they just make me mad i just hate ruggers i can't root for them in that style of play in basketball but we pounded them this year we did but i it was fun i i love to see it because i hate rutgers <laughs> basketball i just that do. is not the direction i thought this was gonna go when i asked the question <laughs> did not think rutgers was gonna be brought up but well it's yeah, them I, in north carolina of course right so. i was gonna say for you that's probably way up I, there. You know, my, my experience, and it would be kind of what where, where our fans get treated poorly, and so that's sure. mostly football, and that's Colorado. why Colorado came yeah. to mind. Missouri was, was rough. Wisconsin's rough. Penn State was rough. Um, but we don't play them enough now, and, and Colorado's still kind of fresh in the womb because and, of the game just a couple of years ago out there. And I think that is part of the conversation is how often you face yes. those how teams. Like, now, True. like, yes, Colorado is up there. Texas is up there. Like, sure, those teams are going to be up there, but – we don't play them. You don't play them, and so right, as, yeah. you don't. You're not as re, you're not reminded as often how much you have a strong dislike for them. So, <laughs> if but you know, I, I think it is interesting though. You you have a match like this later on tonight, and it's Husker. You know, Husker volleyball is not playing, but I'll still be interested to see who wins. And I'm probably I'm I don't like either team that's playing <laughs> in that match later on, but I think I'm going to be cheering harder against. Texas, Texas lose, yeah. You're so. you're going to be doing that horns down. Yes, I will thing, be doing you? that. I've been practicing <laughs> back here. for taunting. <laughs> yep, there you go. Love <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. One other little vegetable to throw into this stew is what are the stakes too? You know, if Nebraska needs someone to win or someone to lose in the division for a football game or place in the standings, sometimes that affects who I. It's hard to say root for, but root harder against. I don't know. You know, Notre Dame's one of those schools that you, sure. you kind of have a, a lot of people either – anybody who's playing Notre Dame, I'm rooting for. And obviously the Irish have a ton of fans <laughs> around McLaughlin. the country as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's a good one. That was a good one too. All right. On to an NFL-adjacent topic. A few months ago, some Cincinnati Bengals fans pointed out that their team is the northernmost team in the league that doesn't have an indoor practice facility. The team instead hmm. uses the University of Cincinnati's indoor spot. The same fans noticed that Auburn football recently built a $12.5 million indoor facility, so the Bengals fans set their fundraising goal at $12.5 million. They're three months into the drive. They've collected a whole an entire $72, $25 of which came from one donor. Do you guys think it was a legit push from sports fans trying to help their favorite team out, or do you think it was just a scam to bring in some easy cash? 
Oh. Well, it's a pro team. The owners ought to. I know. I was going to say they, they ought to. They shouldn't have to be, yeah, fan-led donations for this. But uh, yeah, I I don't think that that there was anything legit. And if it was, that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it can't be legit. It's got to be just a couple of guys sitting at a bar cooking that up one night going, hey, let's, just, let's start a GoFundMe thing for a Bengals indoor football facility and see what people will send us. Yeah. No, that's 100% what it was. I mean, was, good for them. They got $75 or $72. Yeah. So. That was nice couple the, rounds. They, they did some math. I will credit that. And they said if you divide the $12.5 million by the 563,000 followers on the Bengals Instagram account, it's only $22 a person to get this indoor practice <laughs> facility. So small price to pay for the return of the Bengals to greatness, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, whatever. All right. Speaking of returning to greatness, Missouri left the Big 12 for the SEC back in 2012, of course. Uh, but since the SEC does not support the sport of wrestling, they don't sanction wrestling, Mizzou has been an affiliated member of the MAC conference over that time. They won nine consecutive MAC wrestling championships, but today that changed. Missouri will be headed back to the Big 12 to compete in wrestling starting Ooh. next season. So just for that yeah. sport, they'll stick in the SEC for everything else. But obviously this is a unique situation, but I still want to play a little hypothetical with you guys. If you could choose one Husker sport to move from the Big oh, 10 this is to good. another conference, what would it be? And I mean, you can probably say football, but I think it may, might be more interesting if we go with, with other sports here. I know what a lot of fans would say I think would be ba- would be baseball. Yes. Yep. They miss that mm-hmm. conference in baseball, the emphasis sure. that that league puts on that sport compared to the Big Ten. I think that most Husker fans would peg, I think, baseball over anything else. And that's kind of what we came up with as the conclusion when we were talking about it ahead of time because you look at all the other major sports for the Huskers, they're not really – hurt necessarily by being in the big 10 like there it's almost in a lot of ways has been better or at least there are a lot of advantages to being the big 10 for men's basketball for volleyball for women's basketball wrestling and and wrestling Wrestling. yes so for all those but whereas baseball it's it's definitely been a step down so and really you could say softball it's a really good softball league the yeah. Big Ten is so yeah. I don't know. I don't know that the itch would be to do it in that on that ball bat sport, but on the other side, it would be right. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just obviously very hypothetical. The situation was is interesting with Missouri that they have a great wrestling yeah. program, and so they've had to kind of do something you know different for a while. Now they're going back to the Big Twelve, which is a really good wrestling conference. I'm going to ask you guys something. I know you probably don't. How are they the only SEC team that fields a wrestling That's team? That's a great question. I, I the think article, they might be. The article that I read did not say that, but I would assume so. Like they they don't support it, and so I would assume that there aren't any other SEC schools. Wow! That, how about that? As I pull up the Wikipedia entry, I'm through the L's, and I'm not seeing any. I so think there's Missouri. I think, I think they might be the only school in that league. You're talking uh, about a 14-team league, yeah. and nobody nobody has wrestling. Wow. Right. Yeah, they are officially the only SEC school Woo. with a wrestling my, program. That's my crazy. goodness. Yeah. Crazy. One of, would not have guessed that. No. SEC can't stoop down to other conferences, though. You know, got to keep their <laughs> chins pointed up. But anyways, uh, sad news from Europe on Monday. The live mascot of Cologne's soccer team named Hens the Goat was put down due to health problems at age 14. Aww. And the sad part is he actually underlived the typical lifespan of a goat. The average range for them creatures is 15 to 18 years. 
So I ended up a year short, sadly. But if you guys ever met a school's live mascot, and if not, which live mascot would you most want to meet? Hmm. I have met Reveille, which is the the collie at A and M. I mean, nice. I say I met him. I walked by and <laughs> yeah. What about waved. Bevo? Do you ever? Heck no! I ain't getting near that thing. <laughs> or Ralphie? <laughs> or Ralphie? No, either. Neither one. Um, we played Georgia in those bowl games, but I never got down on the field when the the bulldog, bulldog. was in there. Okay. I, that would be kind of cool. I'd like to meet that yeah. thing. I, I got Butler Blue. Yeah. Part of me, part of me thinks that if I was, you know, maybe if I was ten years ago, if I was a little younger, it would be kind of fun to get out when when Ralphie is running on the field and just, <laughs> you know, like I feel like I could outrun that guy. <laughs> no votes for the LSU Tiger. Mm, that would be cool too. That would be neat. Uh, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of good ones. I have not met any. I haven't been on the field with any of those with those mascots. So. I Ben had a near death experience with the Oregon Duck. That, yeah. but that's not a live. I don't. That's not considered live. Nah, that's, so a, that's not a real like duck. A, it's like a little red <laughs> deal. Uh, there you go. Um, last story. We're gonna we go to an odd news story. Of course, weird news story of the day. It comes from the state of Florida. Of course, yesterday a 71 year old woman uh, was in a car driving with her daughter on the interstate when a turtle crashed through the windshield. And what? it gashed open her forehead. She was in the passenger seat. Obviously, they pulled over and, you know, called emergency services. She ended up being okay. She was bleeding from her forehead, but was okay. The turtle miraculously only had a couple scratches on it, even though the hypothesis is, a, you know, another car kind of flipped it up in the air and it went back and Ugh. went through the windshield. But it only had a couple scratches. They released it back into the wild. So all ended up being okay in this situation. So do you guys, after hearing the story, remember or have any stories for us with run-ins with animals on the road? Wow. <laughs> deer. Yeah. I've not hit I, one. Uh, my wife hit a deer, but I've swerved to miss a couple. I've been in a car that hit a, a deer before, and that was definitely... I was sleeping Whoa. at the time, which Man, I was sleeping in the back seat, and we hit a deer, and um, yeah, not fun. I also... This is a, a, a strange uh, story, but I... When I was in my teens, I was in high school, I was driving with my dad, and we were on the highway. It was really dark outside, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something popped up, and I don't think it was a deer. I didn't get a good look at it, but... It was big. It was some big animal, and we hit it. I slowed way down, but so I, we didn't really do any damage to the vehicle. But it was left. It did leave a mark on it, and it, we went. You know, we stopped, pulled over to see if you know it was still there, but it had crawled off, and we didn't. We couldn't find it. But I, you know, I don't know if it was a large dog or just. But it was a big, bigger animal than you know, like a cat or something. But. Yeah, I don't know. It was not a deer either. I the could first, tell that. The first thing I thought of when you put the story down, Josh, was the uh, office episode where Kevin runs over a turtle and tries to <laughs> patch it back together, tries to glue it up. Oh, but I actually geez. have two, <laughs> two stories on different sides of a coin. So I'll start with the, not the humorous one, but my family went to Yellowstone when my brothers and I were younger. And we stopped in the road because there was a progression of buffalo passing by, of course. So that was really cool to witness. And as we were stopped, we actually saw a mama black bear picking up her cubs on the wow. side of the road. So that was a nice little two for one. The humorous story, take you back to my high school baseball glory days, uh, Lincoln Lutheran High School co-ops with Wahoo and at the time Raymond Central, now Bishop Newman. So we drove up to Wahoo for practice every day. And we were coming home from practice one day and our sweet van driver, one of them, Grandma Jan, 
told us on the way back, hey, guys, it's getting dark. You know, I'm a little older. I need some help seeing. Let me know if you see any deer. Like, all right, well, we'll pay attention. We'll help you out, Grandma Jan. So a couple of guys and I are sitting in the first and second row, and we're like, hey, Jan, there's some, there's some deer up there. You might want to slow down and just watch out for them. They're kind of in the road, kind of crossing slowly. Doesn't really acknowledge us, just keeps driving. We get half a mile away. Hey, hey, hey Grandma Jan, there, see the deer up there? No response at all. <laughs> we get like a quarter mile of away, getting closer. She kind of just, she, she taps the brakes and she starts slamming on the brakes. We all jolt forward like, Grandma Jan, what's going on? She's like, you guys didn't tell me about these deer. Where'd they come from? <laughs> like, Grandma Jan, we've been telling you for, about the deer for a mile and a half. <laughs> so uh, it's, disaster no. was averted, but I Ooh. will always remember that. That's funny. Yeah, very good. All right, on our text line, somebody said Texas hands down on the team you hate, and baseball is the sport that they'd so I, That's why I said yeah. I bet if you if you pulled Nebraska fans that they could move a team to a different conference for one sport, it'd be baseball. Yeah. All right, great stuff, guys. Those Thanks. were good. Really Thanks. good topics there tonight. We're back, hour number three, here on Sports Nightly on a Thursday night. Just to wrap up our last hour about teams you hate for the Huskers. Mark from uh, Western Nebraska says, I hate Colorado football and would love to meet Ralphie and Bevo. My deep freeze is getting low. <laughs> <laughs> love that. That's the spirit. Got a boy. Way to get into this thing. All right. We got um, week two of the faceoff. Josh and myself. Josh, the, the defending champion. I was fortunate to win last week. We'll get into questions for this week here in just a couple minutes. We'll also finish off the hour with our flicks picks of the week. We'll keep some open phones in the middle part of this hour as well. well. Let's do it. Let's go face off. It's time for face off. Let's go. Mano a mano. You me right here. Right now. Now, here are your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Austin Orman. Well, at least Tweedledum <laughs> at the very least. Uh, we'll, we'll see if Ben contributes to this segment tonight or not. I, I'm not saying he won't but I am not saying it's a certain thing. And like I said at the top, I want to reiterate just how grateful I am it's a matchup of you two, that there's no Ben and Tim. I feel like things should be pretty well in hand, and it's more a trivia night at the bar than a babysitting experience for yours truly, hopefully. (laughs) Well, Josh, I don't know know about you, but I have a certain sense of calm because Ben and Tim are not involved in this tonight. I would tend to agree with that. Um... I, I actually honestly, like, this is not, it probably is kind of a slight to Tim. I honestly was a little bit calmer when I was playing him because I felt confident in my abilities <laughs> to, to beat him. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm still a little bit nervous, but maybe not quite as nervous if either of those two are hosting. Ben, for whatever reason, last week especially, was it's, he seemed pretty fired up. So yes, I he got, was. I got, uh, got a little bit n- more nervous than normal. I, I had told Austin I should have, and I didn't do this. I still have the trophy sitting in front of me. I needed to take that thing out of here and get it out from in front of my face because I feel like that was bad luck last week. So I didn't do that, so I'm probably not going to go my way tonight. We'll Safe. see. Too late now. We are into face-off. Quick recap. We are in week two of Greg versus Josh. Last week, Greg the winner in six questions. All right, you guys ready for another week here? Ready to dive in? Let's do it. I guess. All right, we'll start off with Husker softball. Name the five Husker softball players who have played in at least 20 games and are hitting at least 250 this season. Josh in first. Tristan Edwards. Show me Tristan Edwards. 
She is indeed. She leads the team in batting average. Pass or play? I will play. I don't know if I can get all of them, but I can at least name off some names. Um, let's try Riley Unziker. How about Riley Unziker? Another good guess. Two for two. Um, trying to think of the freshman name. Billy Andrews, is that her name? How about Billy Andrews? That is her name. Ben asked Coach Ravel about her on the program last night. Hmm. Three down, two to go. Um, Cam Ibarra. How about Cam Ibarra? All right. Now, impressive. Now I'm running out of names that I know. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't paid as close of attention to the Husker softball this year as a lot of years, and they obviously didn't play a whole lot last year. I feel like they've just been um, – like there's been a big overhaul of, of players on that roster from when I last really paid attention two years ago. So, um, uh, is Allie Riley still on the team? How about Allie Riley? Yes, or her closely named counterpart Ani Riley? Ani Riley, also on the team, but not up there in average. Um, so you're down to one strike and one answer left on the board. She's more of a pitcher, but I'll throw her out there anyway. Courtney Wallace. How about Courtney Wallace? All right. Well, I just flamed out quickly there. <laughs> Good start, but not. I was. Okay. Can you whew. can you give me the ones he got right? All right. Josh has the top four actually in batting average in Tristan Edwards, Billy Andrews, Riley Unziker, and Cam Ibarra. Yeah, I think more of her is a pitcher, but how about Olivia Farrell? Hmm, that's a good one. How about Olivia Farrell for the steal? <laughs> Olivia Farrell typically DH'd for not hardly any plate appearances. Yeah, yeah. The answer, Billy Andrews' sister, Brooke Andrews. Oh, who knew? I feel like Billy has been the one getting all yeah, the pub. Yeah, all the pub, no doubt. She's been like freshman of the week and... All right. That's true. So Josh takes that category up one nothing. Question number two. We're one week away from the NFL draft. Trevor Lawrence likely headed to Jacksonville. So in that spirit, name the four quarterbacks with the most passing yards in Jacksonville Jaguars franchise Josh. history. Okay, Josh. Uh, Mark Brunel. About Mark Brunel. <laughs> franchise leader, passer play. How many are we looking for here? Looking for three more, four total. Uh, I think I can come up with one, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, I'll play Blake Bortles. How about Blake Bortles? I don't know if I can come up with any other names. Two Uh, in Jaguars history. Got the top two. Did uh, Byron Leftwich play for them? Did Byron Leftwich play for them, or did Byron Leftwich have enough yards for them? Both. (laughs) Byron Leftwich. Oh. He is number four. I honestly am out of... uh, Jaguars quarterbacks? Yeah. um, Or at least that have played more than, like, a year or two. I would. How many more does he have left to get? Just one one. left. I don't know if I can get it, though. I don't... Uh... Let's not have two flameouts in a row here, Todd. No, that's what it's going to be. I don't... 
I have run out of names. Well, he, took, he took all the ones I was going to guess, too. <laughs> oh, uh, no. <laughs> I, yeah, this is bad. Um, Allen Robinson. <laughs> Allen, the wide receiver Robinson. Unfortunately not. Uh, yeah, I am drawing a blank here. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck. Threw for plenty of yards against those Jaguars, but never donned the teal and gold. Tim Tebow. Timmy Tebow. Tim T. No. So that's three strikes. Greg, a chance to steal, mm. although I don't know how confident you are based no, on... No, I'm not. I mean, the only thing I can throw out there is Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I probably should have thrown him out. The stash, Gardner Minshew. Who is not it? Quite enough. It is David Garrard. Never would have oh, gotten him. I No way. I know no the way. name, but I could not have pulled that out. Right. Yep, Zero no chance. All right, so Josh up. I was honestly shocked that uh, Byron Leftwich is I, – I couldn't even remember if he played for them for sure, honestly. That's the second name I wrote down. I was hoping you weren't going to yeah. pull that one. All right. Do you guys think Lawrence sneaks into the top four in his Jaguars career? Does I think he so. scoot town? No, mm-hmm. I think, I think no. he will. What's the, do you yeah. have the numbers in front of you or no? I do. Right now, Byron Leftwich, the cutoff at 9,042 yards. Yeah, I think he'll get there. He could get there in three seasons. Pretty easily. All right, category number three. Name the three NBA players to be top five all-time in steals and assists. Josh. Okay. Josh. Uh, LeBron. About LeBron James. About Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Good guesses both. Um, both. Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. There All right, I guess I have to play. Uh, how many are we looking for? You're looking for two more. Oh, that's it. An exclusive list, exclusive company. John Stockton, maybe? About John Stockton. There we go. Two out of three. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of guys you... So can you read the question one more time? Name the three NBA players to be top five all time in steals and assists. Hmm. Oscar Robertson. About the big O. I don't I don't know when they started tracking assists. I know, I know. That's um, that's a great guess because he would have probably I don't think they started doing that until his either his career was over or almost over. Well, he racked up quite a few triple doubles, so it would have been yeah, probably towards yeah, the end true. of his career. Yeah, you're but, right. Yeah. Um, uh, what about Larry Bird? Larry Legend? Is that two strikes? That is two strikes. Two correct answers out of three. Greg waiting in the wings. Yeah, I feel like I'm missing somebody here. That's why there's one answer left, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know, though. I feel like it's an obvious missing. Um, This probably is a bad direction to go, but I'm going to go a current guy and say Russell Westbrook. How about Russell Westbrook? It is not yeah. ridiculous opening mm. the door for Greg. Yeah, that door's been closed all night, though. It's been the exact same situation all three questions so far. Give me Michael Jordan. Yeah, I guess I His airness? 
I'm, it is not. Who is it? Yeah. This this player reached this milestone earlier this week. Oh. Chris Paul. Oh, that's why you asked it, hmm. I'm guessing. That is why <laughs> I asked it, yes. Uh, see, that would have never... I, if I paid attention to the NBA a little bit more, maybe I would have thought of that. But nope. All right. That is a 3 nothing lead for Josh Gregson. Wood to chop. Josh can tie the series up. Question number four. We go back to the ball diamond. Name the five players with the longest home runs as tracked by StatCast. Josh, can I ask a question? Is it all time or since this StatCast? Tracked. Okay. Um, so John, not this season, since the inception of StatCast, the five longest home runs. Giancarlo Stanton. How about Giancarlo Stanton? Indeed. I'll play. Uh, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. You got your two Minneapolis mammoths out of the way. Yeah, those are the easy ones. Uh, Vlad Jr. About Vladito. Not quite yet. Um, I feel like Shohei Otani has had a few big ones. Let's go with him. Showtime. Not long enough, though. So you're down to... One strike with three answers remaining. Who am I missing? Is this door looking more cracked, Greg? Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit more open if I don't get any more. I don't feel like this guy hits just massive bombs, but I'll say him anyway. Mike Trout, just in case. About Mike Trout. I don't know. Can you read the question again? Name the five players who have hit the five longest home runs as tracked by StatCast. Hmm. Been some tape measure shots in the last week or so. None of them on this list, though. Oh. I thought maybe that was why you were asking it. Yeah, that's kind of you know, prickly off of the Chris Can, Paul thing. Do you have the numbers of those longest home runs? I do. Can you tell the ones that I said how long they were? So you got Giancarlo Stanton at 504 feet. Holy cow. And Aaron Judge at 496 feet. And which numbers were those? Giancarlo Stanton is number three on the list, tied for second. Aaron Judge is tied for third, fifth on the list. So you have the two longest and a tie with Judge remaining. Hmm. How many strikes do you have? Two? I'm done. He's done. Oh, he's it's done. You. Yeah, this is you. I shouldn't have been asking all those <laughs> clarifications. I, give me Big Poppy. Big Poppy. David Ortiz. Who was it? Hit a few Where tape measures. One I thought you might get, Josh, Miguel Sano. Yeah, I kind of thought about him after I was mm. through my three strikes. Tied with the judge at 496. And the top two are guys I would have been very shocked if you pulled. Nomar Mazzara of the okay. Texas Rangers. I do remember that, that but now that you say it, but no way I would have guessed that. And Trevor Story. Hmm. Those two. I those wouldn't have guessed two. him either. No. Yeah, those last two both hit 505-foot 
home runs for the longest wow. in yeah, the Yeah, Miguel Sano, I probably should have guessed just because he was a twin. But I honestly, like, he went through my mind initially, and I thought, no, he's hit some long home runs, but surely he's not in the top what, five. Do you know what year StatCast came into play? That was my question. It was, I, like, 2013, 2014. Yeah. And okay. Ortiz was still around at that point, so that was But wasn't, he probably wasn't hitting. Probably wasn't hitting that then. long of home runs, yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. All right, yeah, I live another I, I, week. I started thinking kind of further back when you said nobody's done it recently, so I'm like, okay, it doesn't have to be somebody currently playing. Yeah. Right. The Mazzara and Story ones were like yeah. 2018, 2019, I believe. Uh, that was going to – there's no way I would have pulled either one of those names. No. no. Well. All right, Josh is rolling. All right. That's it. Next week, back to a game three. There we go. All right. Nothing good on TV anymore? Struggling to find something to watch? There's no crying in baseball! Well, we've got you covered. I'm gonna make him an offer he can with you. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! And you're- well, we're, we're missing Tim tonight because we may be kind of boring with this thing. It's uh, with, with a lot of Husker baseball mm-hmm. and... MLB going. I'm not sure our, we we have much to to offer tonight, do we, guys? Not yeah, I have a little yeah. bit. I, I actually dug deep. I went back to something that we, <laughs> I watched a little while ago, um, so it's not as recent. But I, I, I'll start. This is a, a movie that we watched a little while ago called A Wrinkle in Time. Um, it's a movie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, it's on Disney Plus and. It stars uh, Chris Pine. It has Oprah Winfrey uh, oh. playing a pretty big role. Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, other um, people in it. But it follows a, a young girl named uh, Meg Murray. And her father uh, and mother are scientists. And um, they uh, basically say that they figured out a way to travel through time. And uh, the father then disappears right after they kind of say that they're on the brink of being able to do it. And she kind of is struggling. So there, it, it skips forward in time, like two or three years, I think. And um, her father's still missing. And then her younger brother, who was just a little baby when it first happened, figures out a way to go <laughs> track down their father, who's, you know, been, been missing for so long. And so they start traveling through different, um, I guess, yeah, realities. What's and it stuff. called so again? A, a wrinkle, wrinkle in, in time. time. Yeah. Okay. So it was interesting. I, it, it is kind of uh, young adultish, I would say. It's, you know, fantasy and adventure, that sort of thing. So it was good, though. There was a guest appearance from Zach Galifianakis. So of course, that was hilarious. But <laughs> the scene that he was in. So I, I would and recommend where, it, though. Where can people find it? Disney Plus is where we watched okay. it. Yep. I'll Very pull good. the Tim tonight and be a little pretentious. Read the book. I think the book is better than the movie. Madeline and Victoria Mangle. has read the book. She read the book when she good was younger and said it was yes. really good. So, Yes, definitely would cool. recommend the book. I, I'll not do what Josh didn't come up with something. I've been extremely boring. I watch TV with my wife and really not at all by myself. She's been busy at work, so I haven't had much time to sit down and watch any Criminal Minds or Guys Grocery Games <laughs> or The Resident or anything with her. So there's really been not a whole lot of TV on the screens at the Gorman Department. So when she goes to sleep, you flip it over to a ball game, either NBA or MLB, right? What For you're the doing. most part, yep. That's yeah, on in the yeah. background, watching that or reading some articles <laughs> on my computer, catching up on the day's news, something like that. 
Yeah. Well, the, you know, the networks are coming down the stretch for their seasons. They always yeah. wrap up in May. And I, I'm, right. I'm a big watcher of the blacklist on NBC. Mm. And I have a feeling this is going to be the last year for that. I don't, I don't know if they've announced that mm. or not. Just a couple of episodes left. But I, I'm a big James Spader fan. I think he's terrific. He's great in this role as kind of yep. a villain, but yet kind of a heroine. And so I've been enjoying some of these last few episodes. And, and we're a big This Is Us fan in this household. They're kind of on a couple-week break here. They've got, I think, three episodes to wrap up the season. But uh, they've, they've really jumped into the, the racial tension in the country right now. They've addressed that, that problem this season on This Is Us. So and along with the pandemic, they, they played into that. So those have both been pretty good. And I'm into season two now of The Ranch. I picked up a couple episodes this week. Really enjoying that. If I need some humor and some light, lighten the mood a little bit, I'll yeah, that, pop on the ranch. That's on the watch list. That's going to be coming up, I think, at some point. Yeah, here. I don't. I don't know that Victoria would like it. Okay, I think you would. Yeah, I All think right. it's more. Of, it's more of kind of guy humor. So. I mean, Ben got Olivia into watching some fishing show. So <laughs> who's to say? No, I'm not buying that. I think he's still <laughs> making that up. Yeah, we need to do some investigative journalism there yeah. and figure out what, what really went on with that situation. We might just have to call her yes. one night on the air. <laughs> on go, the air. Is this true? And next she'll go, what? Fix. Yes, next what week's Fix. We'll, we'll bring her on live. She'll <laughs> yeah. uh, go, I don't know what he's talking yeah, about. I've never <laughs> heard of that <laughs> show in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, well done, boys. We uh, we made it through the show tonight. Uh, that, that's it for the week. We're back on Monday. Will Bolt will be with us on Monday for our normal baseball show. Also, next week, we will have our Bill Moose show for the month of May or April. So he'll be with us on Tuesday night. So Will Bolt, Monday, Bill Moose on Tuesday night. That's going to put a wrap on this show tonight. Thanks to Austin and to Josh and to all of you for listening. We'll uh, talk to you again tomorrow from East Lansing. Husker baseball against Michigan State. First pitch at 4. Pre-game coverage begins at 3.30. Good night.